Um, we're going to continue on with our series in James this morning. And um, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the next lesson that James teaches us. And let's remember what the book of James is really like. A lot of people compare the book of James to the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. It's kind of wise sayings about right living. And so we've been looking at them one by one and, and trying to see the wisdom of God, the perspective of God is what we've been trying to get. We've talked about a few weeks ago about how James says it's wisdom, and wisdom is God's perspective on issues. And so we we're looking and trying to say, okay, God, what's the next thing we want to look at and how can we apply it to our lives? But let's remember who James, uh, what James is doing in this letter specifically, that he is writing this um, letter to a bunch of Christians who were living scattered out of Jerusalem in really tough times, in tough economic times and political turmoil, and they were under oppression. And, and the reason I think that's important to remember is because um, some of those things apply to us today. Some apply to a lot of Christians around the world. And, and I think some more will apply to us as we go forward in our, in, our, in our nation. I think, you know, times of political turmoil, we're living in that. You know, economic turmoil, 2008, 2009 weren't that long ago. And who knows what's around the corner. Hopefully it'll be good, but it might, be, it might turn south. Who knows? So James is writing to people who are in situations like us. And James begins his letter, what's he do? By encouraging Christians to say that even in the hardest of times, that we can be filled with the joy of the Lord. That his overarching theme is that Christians can live well during times of mistreatment and lack and confusion. And last time we looked at this together, uh, we found that that um, for that to happen, to live well in tough times, that we need the wisdom of the Lord. Um, that we need to be able to see life from God's perspective and to use that knowledge accordingly. And we found that that's what wisdom means. Well, the section we're going to look at today, I want to just give a little introduction to say this. We really need the wisdom of God in this section today. Because James is going to help us see a topic from God's perspective so that we can live well in this life that we're living, live the best possible way as Jesus' followers. He's going to help us have God's perspective. And as, as we read, uh, as we need God's wisdom, I think, especially on this topic, because we, I think on what we're going to look at, we generally look at this topic incorrectly. I think as people in the culture we do, I think as Christians, even in the church, we do that the topic we're going to look at, I really do think if we drill down and ask ourselves what we really believe, we really don't believe this and view it from God's perspective. And I even think that the church world has been a big cause in causing us to have the wrong perspective because there's been a lot of teaching that I think ignores God's view and really promotes the world's view. And I would actually say this, the world's view is easier to embrace because it sounds more self-satisfying. And we always think self-satisfying is always the best thing. But I want us to remember, as we look at the topic today, that God's ways are always the best ways. Even if we're saying, but man, it's sure fun to live this way. Understand this, a lot of times there's a way which seems right unto a man, but the scripture says the end is death. And so God, here we have this amazing ability. We have this amazing gift. God looks at, uh, at, at us and looks at our world and says, I want to give you some insight from how I see it. And wouldn't you rather live life from God's perspective than from my very limited perspective? I'm down here with my feet on the earth only seeing this way. God sees the whole thing eternally. And so I want us to live our lives um, from God's perspective. So with that big setup, 
trying to warn you that we're going to, what am I trying to do? I'm trying to warn you that I'm going to say something you probably don't like. Okay? Um, let's grab our Bibles and open to the book of James. James chapter 1. We're going to read verses 9 through 11. What's interesting is I'm doing my best in this presentation to only deal with what James deals with here because he's going to come back and deal with the same topic in just the next chapter. And uh, so it's going to repetition this for emphasis. So this is something that's, that's big on James's heart, led by the Lord. So James chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. It says, But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. And the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flowers fall off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man, in the midst of his pursuits, will fade away. And we'll stop right there. This is what James is doing here, and he's going to do it in the next section also. What he's trying to do is he's trying to contrast the value we place on people because of their financial positions. Just say we look at people differently based on what they're worth. Um, what he's trying to do is to help Christian people not to make the same mistake as other people without God's perspective make. See, when people view their own worth or others' worth based upon their worth, meaning their dollars in the bank account, the Lord's going to challenge us to say that's right. That a rich person in our society, is viewed as more valuable person than a poor person. That where a rich person thinks they are more valuable or more important, or I think even this, more intelligent or capable than a poor person. And where a poor person actually believes that they are less valuable and less important and possibly even less capable or less intelligent than someone who has more money and more power. And this thinking that values people based on financial resources is as old as humanity. It's what James is dealing with here, and it's what we deal with all the time in the culture that we live in, and even within the church culture. But here's the problem with that. God doesn't see it that way. From God's perspective, remember, he sees the whole picture, and he sees the human heart. From God's perspective, a human does not have any more value or less value based upon the size of their bank account. Nor does God use financial provision as a way to show his blessings upon a person. And a lot of us in the church world have been taught that. And I'm going to tell you that that's just not true. It's just not true. And I can, I can say it's just not true based on one very simple illustration. If that were true, that God showed his value on a person based on their financial position and his blessing, that that shows his blessing upon them, then why would Jesus have been dirt poor? If Jesus is God, and he is, and he came to reveal the Father to us, and he has, and he walked in this world, in this economic system, and he had nothing... We surely can say he had this. He had the absolute blessing of God in his life because he was God. But yet he didn't have great financial resources. So we cannot say there's a connection between being connected to the Father, which Jesus was and he is, and great abundance. But you could take it a step further. You could say, well, he's just one example. You take it a step further and look at all of his followers in the New Testament. 
all of his disciples. Um, you know that almost every one of the disciples was um, lived in an impoverished life? The Apostle Paul actually writes about the fact that, hey, I go around with nothing in nakedness and in poverty. And he's talking about his apostleship when he says that. Um, and so they didn't have anything. So if God's value, if God says the way I'll prove that, that you're connected to me and I love you is that I'll give you great wealth, well, obviously God didn't love Jesus and God didn't love the disciples and he wasn't blessing them. So, so obviously it's just, it's just not true. And if it were true that God, God's value is based on resources, then millions of Christians around the world today would not be impoverished like they are. While millions of non-Christians wouldn't have great wealth, but they do. See, Scripture and experience simply do not teach that financial abundance equals God's favor. And this is what James is dealing with in this section. So first he says, look what he says here. First thing he says is, the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. What's he talking about there? First of all, he says a brother. So he's talking about Christians. So he's saying a Christian person in humble circumstances. And he's talking about, in the context of what he's here, a person in humble circumstances, a nice way of him saying, uh, you're poor. You just don't have a lot of money. They're in a humble circumstances. He's going to contrast that with rich in a second. So he says, so a Christian brother who has very little money is to do what? Is to glory in his high position. James is helping us to see how God sees people. People have great value. Christians have a high position in the eyes of God. James does not tie value to economics because God does not tie value to economics. God ties value here, high position, to one being a brother, being a believer in Christ, not to one's bank account or professional standing. And James wants us to see our Christian brothers and sisters the way God sees them. Each and every one is valuable and important because of whose they are, because they are a child of God. That is where their worth and your worth and my worth is derived from whose we are. We are children of God. In fact, this is where all, uh, huma- why all humanity is worth, where all of humanity's worth is derived. People are created in the image of God, and that's what makes them valuable, more valuable than anything else in creation. That's what does God saying, you, you are mine, you're made in my image. And we say, so, so why is that so important for us today? Well, just watch the news and see the way we, we have class warfare. Um, and I'm not trying to be political and say the solutions, but I'm saying just see the news. It's very real. But also there's something much maybe, maybe more important to us in our establishment of the kingdom of God in this church and in the world. That if we are to ever make any progress towards the church being the place of loving unity that God intends for it to be, where diverse people are valued for their diversity. Think of that. For, for so long, the church made the mistake. Said, come to our church, dress like us, look like us, act like us, be a little clone of the pastor, and that means you're a believer. We know that's not true. God's plan for his church is diversity in unity. We make jokes about things like this. We could even have Packer fans and Bear fans, you know, sitting almost in the same aisle, um, one aisle back. But that, that, that we say that as a joke, but that's what it is. God's trying to say that we are supposed to be very diverse people, not just sports teams, but the way we view life should be diverse. The things that we enjoy should be diverse. The, the way we think should be diverse. 
and that we should be joined together in unity because we have something greater than any social or political bond that could join you together or any, and any real blood family line that could join you together. We are sons and daughters of God born again by the Spirit of the Lord. We are family in Christ. And so if we are ever going to see this unity and diversity develop the way God says it's supposed to be, so that the world can look at the church and go, this is amazing, this is the only place on the planet this has ever happened, this must be real. In the book of Ephesians, looking for three years, that was the whole message. God must be real because the church is something that can't be accomplished anywhere else. If that's ever going to happen, then we better understand that every single one of us in this room has unlimited value, that every single person is valuable and every single person is needed. And this is what James wants to see because he's writing to the church. He wants us to see God's perspective, that people are valuable because of their high position as image bearers of God, um, not by how much gold they possess. Isn't it interesting? If you, have, if you have any gold with you today, hold it up. I have a wedding ring. Anybody have any gold? Some of you are afraid to move your hands in church or something. I'm not sure. Most of you are married to have that, you know. Some of you have a necklace on. You know what, necklaces? We put high value on gold. You know what God thinks about gold? It's dirt. What's heaven going to be? What are the streets going to be made out of in heaven, does the scripture say? Gold. So God's value system is not like our value system. Now, I appreciate having a gold. Every wedding I do, I explain why we use gold, and you know, because it's enduring. And, and that's true, it's, it is. But God doesn't place value the same way we do. God says, what you value so much you think is important is just dirt to me. It's just dirt in heaven. So James encourages the poor, he says, to glory in their high position before God. And, and so if you're poor, that's very encouraging. And you say, okay, you know what, I'm not limited and, and uh, God loves me and God wants me to be valued and, and the church world should value me. That's good. But then James does something. This is the part where it's hard. He, he switches gears and he says, well, let me talk about the rest of the people. Because some people are rich and some people are poor. And he, Interesting, he does not say, shows he's not a communist. He doesn't say and just give it all away to all be equal. He says, no, some are rich and some are poor. Other places in the scripture, he says, you know what, if you're in a low position, that's okay, you can be like that. Even if it said, back then he said, if you were a slave, you can stay like that. And if you're free, you can stay like that. He's, he's not trying to say, matter of fact, we're going to see in a minute, he doesn't say you should strive for economic greatness or that there's somehow this leveling where everybody's the same. He never says that because the scripture is just sensible and knows that it'll never happen that way. So what does he do? He says there's rich and they're poor, but then he gives a warning to the rich. And see, because he knows how humanity works. That even though God does not value people based on wealth, people value people based on wealth. And with their, with their wealth, the rich have the potential to believe that they are more valuable than others and more important than others and more capable than others. So James warns the rich to glory. Look what he says here. To glory in their what? In their humiliation. Isn't that interesting? To glory in their humiliation. Another way can be where some of your translations say this, to glory in your humbleness. And this is what he's getting at. For them to remember, really, that it's all about grace. Their humiliation, that it's not about them. It's not based on them. That everything they have and everything they are is ultimately a gift from God who causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. 
James wants them to remember that who they are and what they have is only because of God's goodness and God's provision in the, from the world that he created and the world that he sustains. So James encourages the rich to remember that they are not better than others, that they just have more stuff. In fact, James gives a warning to the rich that he doesn't um, need to give to the poor. He warns them that life is short and that placing great value on one's stuff is short-sighted. Look what he says. He basically says, you know what, if you're rich, understand this. The sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass and its flowers fall off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Now, think about this for a second. Isn't it true that both for the rich and for the poor, in the midst of your pursuits, you will fade away? Is that true for everybody? Yes, for everybody. Then why apply it to the rich? Why apply it to the person who has more than they need? Because the person who has more than they need, the rich person, has a tendency to think of themselves more highly than they ought to and to depend on their resources and their ability to create more resources instead of depending on God. And there's a way of calling that. It's said self-sufficiency or arrogance. Arrogance instead of humility. And friends, this is what James is trying to, to, trying to explain, but I want you to understand something. When James teaches this, you can't say, well, James is just some politically motivated guy who had a certain view on this. No, Jesus, who's, who's, who's James's brother? Jesus, James is the half-brother of Jesus. And Jesus said basically the exact same message when he was teaching one day to a group of people who had gathered around and said to him, Jesus, hey, help us divide up our money, our family inheritance. And I want us to read this together because I want you to see that this is just the theme, There's the, that God's perspective, remember we're trying to get in life, God's perspective. And that God is really clear in the scriptures of his perspective on this issue. So flipping your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 12. And I'm going to read a rather lengthy, matter of fact, I'm going to read this and another rather lengthy section of Scripture today um, because I simply want the Scriptures to speak to us about this topic so we have God's perspective. So Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13, look at what it says. Someone in the crowd said to him, him is Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man... Who, I like the way he said that. Man, I think he said it like that. Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Then he said to them, beware uh, and be on guard against any form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable. Um, and remember, a parable is a story that has spiritual meaning. The land of a rich man was very productive, and he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and then I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God, who said it? But God said to him, Wow. But God said to him, you fool, 
this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to the disciples, For this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat or what you put on your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? And do not seek what you will eat or what you will drink, and do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek, but your Father knows that you need these things." But seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, that sounds awful familiar, similar to what James was just writing. And I want us to just kind of walk through this, these couple verses here and point out just six statements that Jesus said in these parables to point out his train of thought. Because remember what we have here. What are we looking for in James? James is saying, I want to help you see how God sees it. Now, there's a choice you have to make in this world. And I'll be honest about this. There's a choice that every one of us has to make. Do I really want to see God's perspective on something? And I'm going to be honest. That is a decision you have to make up front. Do I really want to see God's perspective? Because I'm going to be, tell you the truth. There's a lot of times that seeing God's perspective is a lot more challenging than seeing the world's perspective. And it's very easy just to say, well, I really would just care to not know God's perspective on this issue. And so we're saying, what's God's perspective on this issue of rich and poor, finances, dependence on goods? What's his his perspective? So look at verse 15. He said, then he said to them, beware and be on your guard against any form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of possessions. Look at that. Life does not consist of possessions. In our culture, in our world, that's exactly what we think life consists of, of what we have. He who gets the, has the most wins. That's what we believe. Greed will mess you up and make you believe a lie. The lie will make you believe is that more is always better. The culture we live in teaches us more is always better. And I'm here to say that God looks at a difference and says, not necessarily. That more is not necessarily better. Matter of fact, if you're pursuing more and giving up the pursuit of God in the process, more is much worse for you. Look at verse 19. It says, And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. He says, You have a lot, so just relax. Take your ease. What's he saying? 
He's saying, rely on yourself. Rely on the abundance of your possessions. That the possessions that you have, that you actually believe, you can trust in them. That you have the fallacy of believing. God's trying to help us here of believing that you can actually trust in your 401k or your pension plan or your investments. And God, from his perspective, is saying, listen, I've been around a little longer than you. He's saying, I'll show you culture after culture after culture where people trusted their possessions and they were gone like a breeze. He's saying, don't do that. Verse 21. So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Now, is he saying you can't have any stuff? I don't believe so. I think it's okay to have stuff. But it's not okay to, um, to not be rich toward God. And what's he mean of that? Not have a life where God is number one. Not being rich towards God would be a life where, where God's in second or third or fourth or tenth place and, and, and your pursuit of stuff, pleasure, and abundance is your number one pursuit. And here's how you can prove to yourself if you're rich towards God. Now, this is one of those things you might not want to do. You look at how you spend your money. You will prove to yourself who you're rich towards by looking at, your, by looking at what you spend money on. If you don't find you're, abund- you're giving abundantly and generously to things that are of the Lord, and all your money is going for everything in this world that will burn and will not last, then you need to ask yourself, who am I rich towards? Verse 24. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? What's he saying here? What determines value of a person? God, not possessions. Slide down to verses 30 and 31. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek, but your Father knows that you need these things. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Let's just say, God's perspective is different than the world's. This is what I'm trying to get us to understand today. That God really does see it differently. And that God, the world sees it one way, God sees it differently. And if, I'm telling you, and if the way you think is more like Forbes than it is like Jesus, then you need to do, and I need to do some evaluating. If I think more in line with Forbes magazine, then I think in line with how Jesus sees things, then I need to do some evaluating. In the last verse, verse 34, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Friends, your heart follows your treasure. So I just say this, we need to be careful where we place our treasures because our our devotion, our heart follows that way. What's going on here? James and Jesus want to help us. They want to shake us up so we don't simply view life through the lens of the world around us. Where we value or we devalue people based upon financial resources and where we live short-sighted lives of greed and self-sufficiency and miss out on, he says here, lives living rich in the kingdom. Where we know and we rely and we rest in the fact where we don't worry because our supply comes from God. We live in the joy of dependence on the Lord and experience His goodness that we can, if we rely on Him and not ourselves and not our own resources, we can live the good and beautiful life that God intends for His children, which only comes from that dependent kind of a relationship. And He's saying, that's what I offer to you. And I want us to see God's perspectives. And I want to end today 
by reading another section of Scripture on this same exact topic. Because I want us to see that God has a lot to say about us. And his perspective is very clear. So take your Bibles and flip a few pages forward to the book of 1 Timothy. So we've heard from James. We're hearing from Jesus. Now we're hearing from Timothy. Three you know, foundational characters. Uh, Paul, rather, and Timothy. Um, three foundational characters um, writing about what the God's perspective is on a topic. So it's 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 6. And we're going to read again. I, I, I always am afraid to do what I'm doing right now. These long sections, I'm going to put you all to sleep. And I'm trying not to do that today, but I wanted to handle this topic in a way that the scriptures would just show you God's perspective. So I know it's a little unusual. Are you there? First Timothy chapter 6? We're going to read verses 6 to 19. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Now look at it. So the world says what, what great gain is, is just having more gold or whatever the gold can buy. He says, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Verse 7. For we brought nothing into this world, so we can take nothing out of it either. If we have food and covering, uh, with these we shall be content. But those who, listen to this, verses 9 and 10, for all, you, all the people and all the people that have lied to you, I'm telling you, maybe not on purpose, but have misrepresented God's view of finances and have told you that great abundance equals the blessing of God, I'm telling you, it's not true, and these verses speak exactly to this. And if there's any two verses that should, should be written on an Americana, it's these two verses if we say we're a Christian nation. Look at verse 9. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Can you imagine trying to say, and it's God's plan to make everybody wealthy, when the pursuit of great wealth, he says, actually harms people, and many people have actually wandered from their faith in God trying to get rich. Can you see that doesn't connect? But why do we have that view? Because we view the world from man's perspective instead of God's perspective. Again, he's not saying great wealth is bad. But he's saying if this is your God and this is your pursuit, that there are a lot of people, he's actually said, by, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith by pursuing riches and pierced themselves in many griefs. Verse 11. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness and godliness, faith, love, perseverance and gentleness. He says, pursue those things, not a big bank account. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Now, let's, I was going to skip this section, but I'll read it because it just, it just speaks to the glory of God. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Jesus Christ who testifies the good confession before Pilate that you keep the commandments which strain, without strain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time. 
He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in inapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. I'm saying, look, at that's the God we serve, but he doesn't stop. He should say, amen, end of story, but he adds another statement. Look what he adds. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them, the rich, to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and to ready to share. So he's not saying, don't be rich. Matter of fact, I, I wish every single person who was capable of being rich and being generous would be rich so that we could be generous. He says, instruct them who are rich to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Now this is what I know. I know that in this very room we have people at every opposite, very opposite ends of the economic spectrum. Some of us in this room have a lot, have a lot more than we could ever, ever use or ever need just to get by. And some people in this room um, just get by. But I also know this, that compared to most of the people, the 8 billion people in the world, that most of us, even if we're in a spectrum of only having a little, most of us compared to the rest of the world um, have a lot. So I really do believe that these warnings that, that, are, that James and Jesus and Paul are the same warning that they're saying to the church is, is really directed to us. That the, that the warnings are gifts from God to keep us from believing the lies of the world. Lies that say people's value is determined by their money or their position. Lies that say that you could trust in your wealth and it will always be there for you. A lie that says that rich, um, rich or people with resources or high position are more valuable than people without. Those are lies. But we believe the truth, that our value is determined by God. That if we see um, one another as valuable, that that is the basis for loving unity. And that it's the truth, that it's much better to trust in God than to trust in my money or myself. Because that's where the flow of the good and beautiful life comes from. The be, able to, the be able to relax comes from the fact that I'm not dependent on the stock market that goes up and down. I'm dependent on the God of the universe who never changes and can always supply. So let's close by offering ourselves and all of ourselves back to God. Our energies, our resources, our time, our finances, it all came from God. And it's only right for his children to surrender it back to him in faith. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me this morning. And I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you want to pray along with me, you can pray. If you mean this, and I, I mean it, I just felt that I should pray in the stead, in place, stand in the place for all of our church family this morning and pray. And then I'll just release you to pray and seek the Lord however you want. So join me in prayer this morning. Lord, you are our Father. You're not some distant being, a benevolent spirit. You are our Heavenly Father. 
and you love us. And you want the best for us. That you redeemed us. And you provide for us. And Lord, we know that. That everything in this world is ultimately ours. That Lord, we don't know why somehow we have been born in a place of abundance. But Lord, we have been. In a season of abundance, but we have been. The same way we don't know why someone else is born in a place of poverty or a season of poverty. We don't know. Or the, the, the millions and millions who are right now born and living in seasons of warfare and poverty. We don't know. But we trust in you. And we know this, that the whole world is in your hands and you, you love every human being. And that, Lord, you want for every human being ultimately one thing for every one of them to come to know you through your Son. That that's how you set this whole structure up. You sent your Son, your very Son, to come into this world and to give himself as a perfect sacrifice for our sins and to reveal to us who you are in a way that we can understand. And that that is the most valuable, the richest, the most precious reality thing in the world to know you. And Lord, I pray today for our church family that Lord, starting with myself, that as we see our lives and we see this world from a wrong perspective, we've been taught certain things, the culture says certain things, our parents taught us certain ways of thinking, many times not even trying to be wrong, but just not seeing it from your perspective. And so Lord, I pray right now that you would rewrite our narratives, you'd help us to begin to understand things more clearly from your perspective. And on this topic that James chose to deal with and Jesus chose to deal with and Paul chose to deal with, this idea of not being lured by the pursuit of great wealth, not being lured by the belief that more will make me better, that somehow if I have just a little bit more, I'll be a little bit happier. God, you're trying to set us free from that lie and telling us to live rich in your kingdom where we can just have peace and contentment today with godliness and then whatever resources we have through the hard work that, that you allow us to do, we would then take those resources and use them for your glory. And then if we have more than we need, you'd give us hearts of generosity. Help us to see the world the way you see the world and live our lives the way you do, that you want us to, so that we would be free from the lies of the world. So today, Lord, we offer all that we have back to you. Lord, our, our time, our energy, our dreams, our finances, because, Lord, we know the best way any of those can be experienced is directed by you. That joy comes from you. That contentment comes from resting in your presence. And that you are love. And Lord, those are the things the world pursues in wrong ways. But you say if we go hard after you and live deep in the kingdom, we can experience the reality of you and that's where all of it flows from. So Lord, show us how you want to use the resources that you have entrusted to us. Show us how you want to use those things. Show us, God, if we, are, if we have been thinking improperly. Show us, Lord, 
if we really do believe the lie that more is better, we really do believe the lie that I would just be happy if I got the next promotion or I had the nicer house or I got the nicer whatever, that I would be happy. Show us that no thing can make us joyful that only comes from you. And so, Father, I just in the, in the stead of this church, I stand here before you today. And Lord, we just offer ourselves to you. All that we have is yours. We know that. And Lord, by faith, and we don't even know what that means, but by faith we offer it all to you. We offer ourselves to you. We say, God, we give it all to you so that we can just trust you to care for us. And help us to learn just to walk in your care and the contentment that comes through that. And then, Lord, I ask for this gift. I ask for as we have resources that are more than we need that we'd hear the voice of your Spirit. And you would, you would say to us, partner with me. Let's meet that need together. That we would be your hands and we would be your feet. We would be your heart extended. People who care. And that God it would be really proven in tangible ways that, that you would speak to us. We wouldn't be guilted. We wouldn't be manipulated. By, by things of the world, but you would speak to us. We'd know it's your voice. And you'd call us to the, the most wonderful life, the life of generosity. Because we know, Lord, it truly is more blessed to give than to receive. You told us that, that we are more blessed because we experience being used of you. And so, Lord, I do pray that if we, can, if we can keep our hearts focused on you, that you would pour abundance upon us so that we could be generous. But God, I would pray this also, that if we will be led astray, show us, Lord, that the worst thing you could do to us is give us more. Help us, Lord, to turn our hearts toward you so that we live in just nearness and joy and love with you. So Lord, now I ask that all these different verses we've looked at today, this theme from James, I pray that God, you would, you would just embed it into our hearts, the part that you want embedded. Anything that I've added that maybe is just my personal bent and bias, Lord, that was not aligned with you, Lord, take it away from our hearts and our minds. And let us be people who are rich in generosity and free from the love of things and fully in love with your bride because we're fully in love with you. So Lord, I thank you for this wonderful church family. Let your blessings rest upon Portview. In Jesus' name.